Okay, good. All right, well, first let me say thank you very much. Um, thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you very much for the invitation to speak to your group. Uh, it's very interesting to watch the uh, little short video there because basically, um, of course, I completely agree that the next frontier is the frontier of the mind. I mean, and uh, and as a, I mean, as a clairvoyant person who was born as a clairvoyant person, I, I guess it's fortunate, you know, to be in a place where that's the, the value. The value is that there are ways to know things that are extraordinary or not through, through the five senses. <coughs> now, I'd like to present the topic in several parts. First, just the physicality of knowing from a clairvoyant perspective. Some people say that everyone is clairvoyant. And inasmuch as everyone is perfectly pure, or perfectly awake, or perfectly filled with divine essence, in, in, in that way, yes, I, I agree that we're all clairvoyant. In, um, in uh, Buddhist teaching, clairvoyance is considered a common blessing. Okay, so you're clairvoyant, that's great. And you can fly, good. Become invisible, useful, not, not a big deal, but a common blessing. So in that culture, clairvoyance is an acceptable fact of having a calm, stable, well-trained, disciplined mind. It's a natural outpicturing of the evolution of consciousness and discipline. So in cultures where spiritual discipline, mental discipline, are prized and valued, the mind becomes still and more calm, less full of distraction, and therefore the innate knowing of beings is able to be activated because there's a value on stillness and sitting and listening and being just present or striving to be in the, in the moment. Uh, of course, now in the West, that's not the goal. We have uh, handhelds, pads, phones, devices. We're very much really sort of being psycho-spiritually pushed over the last, I'd say, 100 years to be a sound by consciousness, to be blurbed and to be uh, consistently interrupted in our, from our bliss state or our samadhi or our natural essential ground, you know. And, uh, and so there's arguments that clairvoyance or just knowing the future or knowing the past or knowing what will happen is uh, innate. And then there's some people who say no, no, it's genetic. The ability to uh, uh, know the future, see things that aren't seen is a, I think it could be just a genetic mutation. Sometimes it runs in families, apparently, especially in the West. And you'll see people who, mother, father, brother, sister, uh, are uh, gifted. And so there's that way of looking at the phenomenon of clairvoyance or someone being a clairvoyant. Um, personally, as a professional, I avoid the use of the word psychic. However, I don't eat very well if I don't use that adjective because psychic is the popular term. 
clairvoyant is not. They go, oh, what's a clairvoyant? When I first started working professionally, I published what I am on my business card. I said mystic, seer, empath. Needless to say, I archived that. It was a beautiful card, but I archived that and republished to advertise, you know, clairvoyant, psychic, tarot. Now, uh, the uh, bit in the uh, video there that was particularly useful was when the woman was describing, um, well, she was describing, you know, knowing that you love a family member but not being able to qualify that. Reviver to say, what does sugar taste like? You know what sugar tastes like. You may not can explain to me what it tastes like, but you know. Okay, and that's an experiential knowing. But when I ask you, that awareness is called up in your mind stream, so that you have that information on hand. Um, my experience has been uh, being, being born in clairvoyant was. Uh, uh, difficult in some way simply because uh, I could see things that other people could not see and I knew what people were thinking and I could hear people thinking and uh, I would know what was going to happen next and it was not uh, you know uh, I was an extremely precocious child I was quote reading poetry and three or four reciting poems, you know, at, at a very young age, and, um, you know, sort of on display. Oh, we're, we're good parents. Look at this marvelous little well-behaved child who could do these tricks. You know, she's smart and pleasant and agreeable and mature and so on. And what they didn't know was that the ghosts were walking down the hallway and sitting on the edge of my bed and I was having conversations with invisible people, you know, and you say, Mom, they're part of me, but there's, you know, disincarnate, you know, spiritual energy, and you know, and of course that's not accepted in our culture to see these kinds of things. And so I realized probably by the time I went to elementary school that the most useful thing I could do was never mention this again. And so I didn't until uh, I I uh, reached a turning point in my life. Uh, several turning points in my life where I decided that if I was going to live in this world, I was going to live the truth. I was not going to live a lie. I was not going to pretend. I was not going to accommodate social expectation by pretending to be something other than what I was. Also, the universe kept giving me little pushes. So I'd be, I was in small business management, and uh, some customer would come in and I'd say something, 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 something. And the customer would do all those things. They would buy everything I said they were going to buy. They would pay the way I said they were going to pay. I wasn't really aware that I was doing this. It was just happening. It was as natural as, how are you, cup of coffee. But people would say, how did you know that? How did you know that? And after about the, you know, after about the tenth time someone asked me how I knew that, I realized that my life was changing and that my filters were breaking down and my ability to pretend to be normal and, and my nature were in conflict. And so I had to make a decision. And I had to decide whether I was going to be who I was born to be or I was going to hide. And I decided that I was simply going to be who I was born to be, come what may. Now, from the radical perspective, I knew 
that this was dangerous. I knew that this, this uh, process of saying that I can see the future, I can see the past, I can tell you what's going to happen next. Uh, my accuracy rating is reported to be between 75 and 92 percent. I'm lucky. I work with very smart people who understand the process and use my services in a way that benefit them because they ask an empowered question from the empowered perspective. And so it's it's not that it's not that hard. Everybody can we can all see the future. It's a matter of degree. If you're sitting in the bleachers, top of the bleachers, watching the ball game, and the batter hits, you know whether that outfielder's going to catch it or not. How do you know? Because you're up at the top of the bleacher, you can see the trajectory of the ball, you can see the mitt go up, and you know if it's a hit or a miss. You just, you know, that's empirical. But it's also seeing the future because the guy on the ground doesn't know. Clear? So, so all sorts of arguments, language arguments, can be made about you know, what is clairvoyance and what is seeing the future and what's relative and what's absolute. And I'm not going to do all that. And I'm going to work from the perspective that there's an acceptance that the idea that clairvoyance is normal, real, not spooky, mysterious, creepy, and useful and can be useful. And, um, and the beautiful thing about quantum physics and quantum mechanics and uh, all the new quarks and black holes and particulate theories is that they're actually proving mathematically now ancient concepts about the nature of the world, the situations of time, uh, uh, and just the phenomenon of being that mystics have held true for thousands and thousands, probably since his beginningless time, since dated time, you know, truths are now being proved by now. Who knew? I didn't. So, so that's exciting. But, but, you know, the idea of, of being a clairvoyant person, you know, or, or developing one's clairvoyance, or or what to do about clairvoyance has two paths really in our culture. And there's the, uh, the high path or the healing path or the path that really is be, be bringing benefit to people. And then there is, of course, the predatory path, which uh, gets a lot more airtime and uh, uh, is a lot more prevalent, unfortunately, than I, than I care to admit. I have a I have clients who have spent $100,000 to have a crush removed. I have clients who have spent $10,000 to have a loved one, lost love returned. I mean, I talk to people who have been hooked by their lack of credulity in psychism to be amazed and to put on that reader magical powers to mystical powers that the individual doesn't actually have, but uh, uses the faith that, that they've gained from that person with the display of a natural ability to, to reel them into a fraudulent or scam type situation where the person keeps buying more and more product, more and more visits, more and more candles, more and more this, more and more that, in an effort to to get the outcome 
that they're wanting or that this purveyor promises them if only they will do X, Y, or Z thing. Now, relevant to that aspect of what I term without judgment the misuse of clairvoyant ability, um, it speaks to a disadvantage in Western culture, in a way, that we become so detached from the shamanic or from the energetic or from the vibrational world model that to be to have someone tell you something about yourself that they couldn't possibly know becomes magical. Right? It's not magical. It's just the nature. It's the way it is. It's the nature of the world ultimately. That that it's all interconnected. Time isn't linear. It's more like a candy ribbon. The loops upon itself, right? And at any moment in time, you know lives are hovering upon lives, past lives upon past lives, just like that, layers of an onion. And so an individual who is either gifted or cursed, depending on your point of view, with the ability to be present and, and know this, right, through means they can't explain, can tell you things, because that individual, that clairvoyant person can access data that's existing. Now some people say they're accessing the Akashic Record, right? Which is a really good term. How many people know the term? Yes, thank you. It's just like a giant database of information. And, and, and the important thing about the Akashic Record and clairvoyance and co-creating the future is the concept that with our thoughts we create our reality. And the more often you groove the thought, oh, life is miserable, I'm going to die alone, the more deep, the deeper the groove becomes, the more stuck your needle is, the greater the likelihood is that that will be your future. Why? Because you're not allowing room for another future to occur. You see, and so that sort of malevolent abuse of psychism or clairvoyance or something like that works very well because they can, the, the reader sees that that individual is stuck. They're hooked in a mindset that makes them vulnerable, frightened, panic-stricken, afraid, desperate for a solution. And they use that stuckness, that groove that's actually created by the individual to their advantage. So we're going to put that whole aspect of the level of knowing offside. Okay? And we're going to talk about the right use of knowing or clairvoyance or seeing for the benefit of people. Um, because I think it's a worthwhile topic and one that doesn't get much attention. I believe that the right use of knowing is to facilitate uh, 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 empowerment freedom, clarity, peace of mind um, for the seeker, for the individual, for everyone. Everyone should have access, in my opinion, to a reading, a clairvoyant second opinion. Um, everyone should be able to do that without fear of reprisal or recrimination. In our culture, and particularly in the South, this is not 
easy to do. There's a lot of barriers about it, which goes back to the intuitive awareness I had when I decided that I was going to be this. I realized that I've probably always been this, that this is, I incarnate to do this. I'm sure I've been burned alive at least once or twice, <laughs> because one of my very first prayers was, please don't let me die in a fire. You know, I'm sure I've been hung on several occasions, you know, efficient, or beheaded, or whatever they did to, to remove, you know, difficult women who, you know, spoke the truth and saw things that one shouldn't be seeing or knew that the king really had. So, so it was risky, and even in this day and age, I was scared to be out, I was scared to out myself, and frankly, when I, I don't out myself as what I am I, uh, most often, if you're looking for me for what I do, you will find me. If you meet me in public, I'll tell you I'm a website designer, which is true. <laughs> it's true. And I'm good at that. But, you know, why, you know, I've, uh, I've just had so many unfortunate experiences, you know, telling people what I actually do, that it's just safer. You know, why, why poke the tiger? Why stir the pot? I just will be a website designer. Thank you so much. And if you're looking for a clairvoyant, you can probably Google me up right away in Jacksonville. Why would anybody give you a problem just because you say you're a clairvoyant? Why? Yeah. In sunny Daisy, Tennessee, it's illegal to declare yourself a clairvoyant. Really? Oh, yeah. It's in the city ordinance. I tried to work in, I was going to move to Chattanooga and work in Chattanooga. It's illegal to work as a psychic in Chattanooga, a single mountain, a Saudi Daisy. Oh my gosh, just for the only place it's not illegal is in College Park, Tennessee, which is where the Seventh day Adventists all live. Really? I'm not sure I didn't want to go there. <laughs> I figured if I was not allowed to work. So I've had people laugh in my face. I've been ostracized from whole communities. Just because you said you're psychic or clairvoyant? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I think oh, it's still yeah. illegal in St. Augustine to be a psychic. Yes, it is. Kaimura actually <laughs> fought yes. that city for tw over 20 years and won the right to do business in the city limits. So you can now work in the city limit. In Jacksonville, Florida, well, the zoning is such. You can work in the places that are zoned for used car lots and junkyards. That, that just changed in Jacksonville. But just changed two years ago. There was probably a class action lawsuit. And so I am now able to work in a very nice shopping district in the better part of town. Previously, I worked between JR's Topless Lounge and the Emerson Arms Apartment. Oh my God. This is funny, it's funny, and from the safety of the library. Not so funny if that's where your office is. So I was between a holiness church and the barbershop. So it was collards or, uh, uh, you know, chemical product. It was, so I gave that up and, and went to work online. but. Which, which is another good thing to discuss, but yeah, it's still, it's still not okay to be who I am. Is this, you're talking about Jacksonville too? Yeah, right now. Well, I've, I've driven down Beach Boulevard many times with these big signs that says Madam Ruby. Right. And wouldn't, if that's illegal, why would she have her sign up for all these years? Well, Madam Ruby, Ruby is, got in before, 
and she's out there on a used car lot on the outskirts of town. It's not illegal to do business, it's just illegal to do business any place you might succeed. When she started, there was nothing Jackson else on the Boulevard, very, and very you call it Gap Oh, wow. It really is. To try and uh, work with cops or the U.S. Marshals, some real left-brained authoritarian people who think it's all fun. That's interesting, too. Yes, until they hire you. And then it's not so bumpy, but um, but uh, but uh, but see, you see, there is still a great, a, a great um, discrimination against gifted people, and so I don't do it, frankly, because I have more valuable things to do with my time than be ostracized, ridiculed, humiliated, you know, or grilled. Would it be possible for the? Uh other psychics that have been in before to actively want that to happen to keep out competition? What are you asking me? I mean, is it possible you, for I mean, people, psychics, to exert energy against? Like, like a Madame Ruby that was there from the beginning. That's the only one I've ever seen advertised on the from the street. So are you asking me is it possible for her, for her to psych psychically try to evict me? <clears throat> no, I'm, what I'm asking is could, I don't know how many active psychics in this town exist, but uh, it was just like in a business where a lot of times a business will get together with the authorities to create boundaries for other competitors to come in to open up shop because they would take business away from them. I was just wondering, because that kind of stuff goes on in government all the time as far as well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I think the city took care of that fairly well, and that Madame Ruby's been discriminated against uh, uh, for as long as she's been in business. So she's legit? She's not It's not my purpose to come to discuss who is or is not legitimate. My purpose is to discuss clairvoyance in general. Okay. So that, I, mean, I appreciate the question, but that would be inappropriate. Okay. Um, 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 you know, you know, there's articles on my website that are designed to help you have a good reading experience, help you identify a good reader, help you know, you know. But your your intuition will probably tell you whether or not you know the person you're speaking with or sitting with is a, is is worthwhile, worthwhile or not. You know, no no readers write 100 percent of the time. And every reader isn't right for everybody. And and within the community of, of readers, there's a variety of cultural worldviews. But you see, this would move us back more to the topic of clairvoyance in general, and the innate human knowing, the shamanic mind, the magical mind, the difference between em empirical clairvoyance and shamanic, you know. Uh, um, um, power, you know, because I think that's, I think clairvoyance is a, is, is more of a, of a knowing, and then, then there's other levels of healers or workers that are going to move in various levels of energetic awareness to do sound healing or energy healing. In other words, you're going to take an active 
they're going to be actively participating with the client to achieve a desired outcome. The clairvoyant is responsible to see and to report the information, in my opinion. That's the purpose of clairvoyant. You ask the question, I get the answer to the best of my ability. Next question, next answer, next question, next answer. The answer is based on what you've done in the recent past, what you have in your mind stream in the relative present time, and those two things together create an outcome. You may not be able to see the outcome because you're invested in having a particular one occur, or you're invested, and you're sad, you're depressed, you're confused, you're something, something, something. And so you don't know what to do, or you don't know what to choose, or you don't know what's happening. But if you say, show me the outcome of moving to Chicago, right? And I say, all right, I want you to visualize what that means. If you have to move to Chicago, Show me in your mind what you're going to have to let go of. Show me who you're leaving behind. In your mind, show me who's coming with you. In your mind. Right? And so ask the person to visualize all the different relative pieces of, of their decision. And then I'll ask uh, questions about the present. You know. Uh, Show me how you're feeling. Show me how much the plane ticket costs. Show me how long you can live without work. Show me how you've got a job waiting for you. Show me, show me. And at the end of the time, I'll say, show me anything in your mind that I haven't asked for that's important. And at the end of that time, then we have the answer. So this is something that occurs without a client telling me anything at all. Why? First of all, everyone can visualize far quicker their living room than they can describe it. I can see it in my mind in a second. It'll take me 30 minutes to tell you what it looks like. So why suffer through all that? Second, the act of showing, when I ask someone to show me, it's a collaborative opening. It's an agreement between the two of us. I am asking you, give me the show me, give me permission, let me see what you know. And you're saying, all right, see this. And at that moment where we come together and I hear you thinking, right, then we're bringing your truth into the world. We're bringing that together. So it's a co-creative experience and an honorable clairvoyant, in my opinion, serves as the vehicle to help the clients see the future that they're creating and tells them that truth. But then, but then you see with clairvoyance you have to look at ethic and always with ethic because some people want to know, well what's he think of me? I cannot help you. The thoughts of people change like the wind. I don't know. Does he love me? Oh, I cannot help you. You must define love. Does he love you the way you love him? Absolutely not. Is he capable of loving you in that way? No. He loves someone else more. No. Let's go back to building a future. Let's go back to owning your reality. Let's go back to 
you know, something that's not a parlor trick or spying psychically on another person. Let's go back to the right use of the gift of clairvoyance, which in my opinion is a, uh, he's got rules. I think every person who has a gift of, uh, like this or, or is able to access or use or is one with their gift like this has an ethical responsibility. Everyone's ethic will be different. Mine is never to lie, no matter what. So if you ask me when your grandmother's going to die and I can see it, I have to tell you the true answer. If you do not want to know, please don't ask me what is going to happen because, you know, that's the rules of it. If you want to know, you have to be ready on some level to hear the answer. And if you're not ready, then it's best not to knock on that door. But see, the thing about all this is that right now the conversation or the discussion is really limited to the, a, very, a very single channel, which is knowing, which is knowing. And so, so I, I mean, for me, and the only person I could speak for is me, is I realized I had to create walls around the ability to know or I would be in the psych ward. Many, many, many people in the psych ward are not crazy. They're just multidimensionally conscious. They are sitting on three planes simultaneously. They are not babbling, we just cannot decode what they're saying. So, so in my family in particular, psychism runs either to the clear seeing or the paranoid schizophrenic. Some of us can hang and some of us crack. The percentage that cracks is higher than the percentage that hangs. And I remember one of my very first clients when I started to work professionally, a beautiful woman, gifted herself, came in, sat down, crossed her legs, looked at me and said, okay, so what are you doing to keep from becoming a paranoid schizophrenic? I thought, well, that's an audacious, brazen, and pointy question. And I told her the answer, what I was doing. Because, I, because in order to withstand knowing uh, a person has to be able, in my opinion, to be on knowing and off knowing. It, it requires a switch. It's like we don't work all the time, we don't play basketball all the time, we don't gorge all the time. There's an on and an off time for that. And the problem with clairvoyance is that it's of the mind, and the mind is empty and luminous and constantly on. It's on. So, so one makes an agreement with whatever deity or series of deities or god or goddesses that one acknowledges is valid or the universe in general that under these conditions I will see and without these conditions I will not see. And so my conditions are I will see by appointment when someone asks and pays me money. <laughs> Otherwise because otherwise, there you are running around with all sorts of information. There was a television program where the woman would go up and knock on the door, pardon me, but your deceased loved one is standing next to me. Oh, you know, that's going to work. <laughs> I mean, really, if someone were to knock on your door and say, hello, your Nana's here, and she wants you to... <laughs> Not viable. 
not even fair, but I took it in stride, took that in stride. And, you know, or the sense that one is, is burdened. So, so in the beginning of opening up again, which started when I was about 36, I had, I had the great tearing down whatever walls I put in place. And so I would go into the mall and a person would walk, would walk by me and I know, child molester, adulterer, you never get the good stuff. Oh, right. You know, quarter, uh, uh, Twinkie obsession, uh, beats her child, beats the dog. And, but you go in, and, and because evil's big and thick and heavy and easy to you know, know, and so you go into a big environment where people are basically just milling and down and unguarded attention, and all the sensory data starts coming in. And it's useless. Uh, it's of no purpose. What am I going to do with that information? Nothing. So I had to find a way to kind of contain knowing. If I go see a seer, a lot of times they'll say, do you know how many consciousnesses are pressed around you right now? Do you know how many souls are knocking on the tube of your experience right now? It's like, no, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Because once you become illuminated, once you're a light, once you're a conduit like that, then all the people who forgot to make amends before they died, and all the people who forgot to say, oh, I'm Siri and Nancy before they died, all the people went one away, you know, during that bardo period, during the period between, you know, this life and the next life, or this realm and the next realm, they so want to come, you know, back and have that last hug, kiss, moment, something, something. So I, I encourage you, if there's something you haven't done that you really would be sorry for not doing if you were hit by a plane on the way out, please do that today. You know, don't wait. Don't wait to tell your loved ones that you love them or you're sorry or whatever it is. You know? Why can't they just go directly to their loved one? Why would they want to have to go through you? Yeah. Well, a lot of loved ones don't listen. A lot of loved ones don't believe it's possible. A lot of uh, loved ones don't care. And, and so if you shine, it's kind of like why the moss come to the light at the... At the right. Because it's lit. It's lit. They, can, they can find it. Which is why I can't be open all the time. Because then it's also discourtesy to those disincarnate beings that would like a light you see? So then it actually, I mean, the responsibility, in my opinion, goes twofold. There's a responsibility to care for the people that come for knowing, and there's a responsibility for the people who wish to access, right, someone else. So it's a, so it requires a great gentleness of uh, attention to do no harm and not go crazy, right? However, Back to the noetic aspect of it. See, I'm talking about the practical application of, know, of knowing. And so, so if we were, you know, and there's a question and answer, you know, of course, at the end. But, but one of the things that I wanted to talk about, just in terms of, of seeing or knowing or, or that sort of thing, is that, is that um, there's a uh, I'm 
quite how to explain it. There's a, it's just like uh, when I was talking before about, you know, the malevolent abuse of knowing where the person's hooked, you know, hooked by uh, someone knowing something about them. That's simultaneously the beauty of the experience of a clairvoyant because the world is now suddenly bigger and magical and more wild and more real and more perfect than you thought if you're not familiar or you've never had the experience. And so now it's like the genie's out of the bottle, pull the cap is off, and the world is going to be always different for you because yes, you've lived before, and yes, your consciousness is eternal, and yes, we don't die, and yes, 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 yes to all the mysteries, do you know? And so that's, that's um, of course, something that doesn't come up. But I do offer past lives readings, and it was mentioned in the little blurb there, you know, of people having been somewhere and feeling as if they know that place. Well, of course we've been there, and we have known that place and realms beyond realms beyond realms, you know, of awareness or of awakening. And now, of course, thank you mathematicians for the multiverse model of experience and all these other different kinds of things. I think they've actually proved by location of the same object now in yep. studies in Berkeley that, yes, you can be in two places at the same time. Well, okay, molecules can be in two places at the same time. But those who are working with lucid dreaming or, you know, that kind of thing where, you, you know, you're dreaming awake, you know, can really blur the lines between what is and isn't possible, what's real and what's not real, what's of this world and what's not of this world. And so ultimately, any conversation of clairvoyance really comes to the willingness to break down the boundaries of the limits that are either societally imposed, socially imposed, or just personally imposed, that say, you can't know that, you can't do that, that's just a coincidence. It's like, no. This is an interdependent, interconnected fabric of beings and energies and motions and moments in time. And so, Pull this string, there'll be a you know be a runner over there. It cannot be any other way. Clear so far. So this is like the introduction to, to to clairvoyance portion of the talk based on my own personal experience as a clairvoyant person. I'm sure other clairvoyant people have other kinds of experiences that they would share. One of the things that I think is important to say is that I don't see things anymore with my eyes. When I was a little girl, I would see specters and, you know, ghosts coming down the hallway and that kind of thing. Now the seeing is in my mind's eye, but I'm really, I really just know it. They say, how do you know that? And I tell them, I don't know. I just know it. So it's bizarre. It's just bizarre. It's, I just know. And that's how that is. Um, now, another tool that I've used, I've learned to use, and a lot of times a reader will have a tool, like I've worked with some really great and gifted people. I have one friend who's a spiritualist medium, and her 
clairvoyant specialty actually is to connect with consciousnesses of beings that are dead, human beings that are dead specifically. It's what she does, born to do it, and she uses a crystal ball as her sort of ground or token. So she's on, the ball goes away, she's off. It's like a switch. It's like a protective device. I use tarot. It's my switch. It's also, uh, just because, remember I was talking previously about the psycho-spirituality of visualization and sharing and that. Uh, the tarot somehow is a great interface or filter for, that works very nicely to protect the seeker from me. <laughs> Should I see too much, it'll say no. This is as far as you see and no farther. And it sets the boundary for the querent. You know, it's about, I want to know this, but just this much. Don't, you know, don't take me any farther than this place today. Today I can't go, I can't stand any more data than this amount of data. And so that's a very, that's my also on off switch. Now, it doesn't work to turn off, 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 off completely, apparently, because people still go, how did you know that? But I can't help it. It's not like I'm, um, sp I'm you know, spying or bored or peeking or anything like that. And that's another reason I think that people react negatively. There's two interesting things. One of the reasons I believe that people have a negative reaction is because they don't understand ethic, clairvoyant ethic, then um, I've had people say, well, I'm not willing to date you. You'll know when I'm lying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Well, good to meet you also. You know, because if, if we're starting from that ground, this is not a good date for me anyway. And uh, I had one uh, woman, uh, an actual Roma, a woman say, how long have you been single? I said, oh, about 20 years. She said, yeah, the cards are jealous. And so there's an idea that, that you know, there's a, there's a boundary, there's a parameter that's maybe defensive of me in a way to keep me able to be able to be on, to be ready, to be, you know, I don't want to say pure or chaste, those are real archaic terms, but if you're a, a single or a celibate person, then you're not distracted by, you know, who didn't pick their socks up, burn the dinner, you know, forgot to buy cat food, the mundane, you know, there's, there's no distraction so that you can live in a, a condition where if the person calls you and they need you to be able to be ready to do your job now, 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 you can actually do that. So it's an interesting lifestyle, I can say that. And um, it's a very interesting lifestyle. And uh, some questions are, if you look to see the future, will you change it? It's like, well, you know, I don't know. That sounds like it has spooky overtones. Like, you know, if you look, then oh no, you know, Edgar Allan Poe pops from his grave and dreadful things happen to you, right? I don't think that 
looking alone. It's like reading the stock portfolio or the weather forecast. You know, knowing that it's going to rain tomorrow doesn't make it rain or not rain. You just have an umbrella. So I think looking to see the outcome of the decision doesn't make it true or false. It just provides insight or enlightenment on the, on the opportunity. Now, the um, other things to talk about or before it's time for me to stop talking uh, uh, weren't really on the menu, but relevant, so, because they're no egg. I like that word a lot. Um, which is the frontier of the mind. The frontier of the mind. And that was what was mentioned in the blurb there. And one of the things that's happening more and more, especially in healing and in, um, people will stay with healing, it's happening in other areas as well, is that, I mean, the power of prayer is being respected as an effective healing tool. What is that? That's the collective application of group mental energy to a specific intent. Science of mind. But it's, it's the union, and I don't know. Does everybody remember Guru Maharishi Mahesh Yogi on Johnny Carson? I know he was great, wasn't he? During his talk, if you don't know, he's a little tiny Indian man in these flowing white robes with a grizzled beard and just as tight and ridiculous to the American audience as the 1960s as was possible. And he came on Johnny Carson's show and he sat not on a chair but on some sort of futon thing and held a flower in a perfect lotus position and had a thick Indian accent. And Johnny Carson was sort of, you know, ha ha grilling him about his transcendental meditation movement and world peace and and you know Maharishi didn't say very much uh, but he said you watch he said to Johnny Carson he said you just watch today there's hundreds of us one day there will be thousands of us and you see what we will do and when the Berlin Wall came down had little visual of Guru, Rishi, you know, <laughs> Guru Maharishi Mahashogi just beaming, you know, because of course it had to, because the collective impact of visualizing world peace and not world P E A S, which is just snarky, impacts and will always impact the environment that we live in. And this is something that I'm concerned about personally, is that, is that all the distractions that I discussed at the beginning are very much designed to keep, in my, I'm not having a conspiracy moment, it just seems as if those things are designed to keep us from doing what we've always done, which is to gather at the end of the day at the campfire, on the porch, in the community circle, and to dance, and to chant, and to pray, and to put our pure conscious energies together for a good harvest, for a healthy birth, for peace in the tribe, for plenty of buffalo, for rain, for whatever it is we actually needed, and we're becoming fractured in little boxes. We wake up from our box, get in our box, drive for a box, work in our box, probably on a box, leave our box, get in a box, drive our box, back to our box, oh my gosh. 
don't give anybody a ride. Because <laughs> that's dangerous. You could share like an experience or something. Or say again. So you see, there's it's very timely that, that ION is, is is available because what what's possible still as was then is for the collective consciousness of beings, clairvoyant or otherwise, we will all we all have intent. We all have the ability to make a statement of intent. We all have the ability to vibrate at the frequency of that intent. We all have the ability to unite with others vibrating at that same frequency of intent and we can still change the world. We just have to decide that that's what we're going to do. Does it require clairvoyance or a great magical gifted skill? It's simply a matter of diligence, patience, practice, and it can happen. That's not magic. That's the way it works. That's why people go into churches to pray power of collective intent. That's why people go to temples to pray. One prayer is one. Two hundred is one amplified by two hundred percent. So so one clairvoyant, okay handy, give me ten of us, you know, and we'll really see some stuff. Uh, you know, I mean, it'd be interesting. Of course, I'd be, I'd be a little bit leery if I were suddenly invited to a collection of clairvoyant people, I probably wouldn't go. Just in case. <laughs> No, I'm playing. I'd go. <laughs> so, uh, so you see, that's about that's the thing about the science of mind, and I think that there are people now who are who know when the earthquake's coming. There are earthquake predictors in the world. There's tsunami predictors in the world. There's people who know the time. They might not know exactly when, but they'll tell you it's coming and where it's going to come and who it's going to hit and how bad it's going to be. And the, the, the thing is, I, I, hope, I hope we become as a nation people who ultimately encourage and celebrate and honor the true clairvoyant as opposed to ridicule or minimize or freak show, you know, that um, process. Because there's so much to be gained, you see. So much to be gained and so much freedom to be had. And so you see it. If you, if you really can see the outcome of moving to Chicago and it's terrible, you don't have to go. You know, you can you can say, oh wait, I guess maybe that you know seemed like a good idea at the time, but as it turns out, that company is going to go belly up in six months or less, and I will relocate it to a cold and windy place where I have no friends and be broke. Okay, well, show me outcome of moving to New York City. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, show me outcome of staying where I am. Oh, okay. Well, show me the. And so, do you see my point? It's, it's, it's a great way to use that great database of potentiality to see if you go down the. If you go to the end of the road here, this road, this road, this road, this road. And so, that's what a clairvoyant can do. Clairvoyant person can help you know really what you might already know but can't articulate. And a lot of times people will come and say, I knew that. 
And it's like, well, good for you. I didn't know you knew that. You know, I've never met you before in my life, but so happy to have been of help, you know, or not help, depending on your point of view. You know, it's like, okay, so, you know, and that's the thing. It's like, if you do tell someone what they already know, I always think that's a celebration of their own knowing. So it should be a good thing. So. Anyway, so there you have it. So I'm not amazing. I always tell people, if you want to be amazed, you need to go down the street. I'm not amazing. Or, or maybe I'm accidentally amazing, but it's not my purpose to be amazing. My purpose is to honestly answer your question to the best of my ability and to use that. People always go, oh, yeah, well, if you were a clairvoyant, like, how come you haven't won the lotto? <laughs> <laughs> Rule number two, no fair. <laughs> no fair being a clairvoyant and profiting, you know. It just doesn't, it's like there's agreements, you know, you can't do it. It's just, it's a corruption, it's an adulteration of the intent of the blessing, in my opinion. You know, and that's the thing, and it only works, it's actually really only possible uh, and for me, or in my experience, it's really only possible if you're absolutely able to drop your attachment to yourself completely. In other words, if you have to drop your, I have to drop my name, I have to drop my story, my history, my agenda, my belief system, my preferences. Like, I strongly prefer monogamy. But I read for adulterous people all the time. So I have to accord them the same respect that I accord a monogamous person. I strongly dislike murder, but murderers call for readings just like saints call for readings, just like, so there's a grand sort of sweeping carte blanche dropping of agenda to be able to do that work ethically or to do that work well because once a, once a clairvoyant person, in my opinion, stops knowing and starts judging or naming or labeling or advising, they've no longer, they're no longer fulfilling the purpose of clairvoyance, which is simply to see and tell the, tell the story. So. More than you ever wanted to know, right? <laughs> Clairvoyance, or, or do you have questions about it, or other topics related to it? How do you? I heard a question. How do you, if you come um, an encounter with a lot of, so to speak, negative energy or heavy energy, mm -hmm. not necessarily negative, mm -hmm. how do you purge it out of your system? Like, let's say, murderer or abuser or however you other person that you don't necessarily rhyme with their energy, mm -hmm. how do you purge it out of your system? Um, that's a very good question. Um, I have to answer that question in two parts. Um, the first part would be to say my personal value system going in is to realize that every human being is already perfectly pure divine consciousness. So essentially, they're all Buddha. They're all awake. So, so, so I have to walk in with that ground. 
if I if when I get into the experience and I've been in two or three very uncomfortable and potentially dangerous readings and what's interesting is that the, the danger of the reading is not limited to this life alone I did a reading I'll tell a story I did a reading for a woman who wanted to know a past life and I can talk about this really briefly only uh, and uh, and um, it was the case that as a child she was sold to a shaman in Peru. And when I went to see her um, past life, the, his pull on her was so great that, that I was actually at risk, it's the only time I recall it, for being pulled energetically into a past that I might not be able to escape from or being pulled into the power of another consciousness, far more powerful, far greater, far more developed than my own. So I got my mind out of there, right? Just the way you run like a bunny, just, but you do it energetically. Now, in the cases where uh, uh, I read for people in this world, right, and um, that are in crisis or something like that, then um, I just I just have to remember that love is the primary value. Honest answer to the question is the secondary value, and it's my blessing to forget what I said as soon as the reading is over. So I don't actually have to worry about that. Do you condition yourself for that, or yeah, well, like you were saying, the switch to to have to you have to find your switch to be on and off. So oh. you have to work on that switch to condition yourself to Thank some way you. Yes, that's an excellent question. Yes. Yes, I, I should have brought it up. That yes, absolutely. I do a variety of rituals prior to engaging in any clairvoyant experience for another person. I do rituals for self-protection, rituals for the protection of the seeker, and rituals to bless the space. So a lot of things happen. That's why I work by appointment. So that I'm clear, I'm focused, I'm one-pointed, I know when I'm going in, what I'm doing. Um, um, pray for the protection of the person that no harm come to them during the experience. And then um, I don't know, I don't know why I'm able to just have it fall off, but it just does. It's like getting in the shower. You get in, you're wet, you get out, you dry off. So I'm just, I'm pretty lucky. As you condition this, it just works stronger. Switches yeah. become yeah. stronger. <laughs> yes, that's true. But now I, at least I will switch now a great big switch. So what you need is basically like our inner knowing that we kind of already know, but sometimes people like, between our rattles of our brains, we can't either see or hear. It's, it's kind of like a chest moves. Like, mm -hmm. If you go this way, this will happen. This mm -hmm. If you go this way, but there's one optimal one that we already know, which we sometimes might not be able to decipher within ourselves. Yes. Then, but then we also have to take into account the external variable. And that is the one advantage for the seeker in consulting a clairvoyant person, is there are environmental factors over which we have no control 
It can influence our decision, choice, or action in ways that we don't expect. For example, in the matter of a love relationship where someone says, show me the outcome of continuing to date Sophia. What sign are you? What sign is Sophia? Okay, and we look to see, and although the relative is good and the present is good, what's not revealed to the seeker is that Sophia is critically mentally ill and deeply flawed. And should you continue to date this person, then the foul, it will be one of the most disastrous relationships you've ever had because her, she will break down. She's on path to break down now, you know, and so the most loving thing that you can do is gently end the relationship and then sort of continue to be present or supportive and maybe refer her to Al-Anon or, you know, Ted Brooke or, you know, to dial 911 if she calls you to tell you she just ate all her pills or something like that. So there are very factors that, that the seeker can't see that the reader can. And that's because the scope of knowing is, gra is greater and greater. And that's because the seeker gives permission to the seeker to look as far as the eye can see or the inner eye can see. And so there is that added benefit, which is the variable. Question? Yes, please. Because we are in the spiritual world, mm -hmm. the Zion's group, there's many people in this room that have uh, very sensitive feelings of, of clairvoyance, and maybe not as clairvoyant as you, but you know, just maybe more. certainly a lot of certain things that they just know. Yeah. How can one uh, make that garden flower? How can you, mm -hmm. how can you expand that ability? I mean, you were born with it, it's just there and you can't, you have to turn it off. How does one turn it on when you want okay. to? Okay. Besides just being sensitive enough to, to notice and to appreciate when it happens, how do you take it another step further? Well, there's two, there's two standard suggestions. The first is to keep a journal so that when you have a knowing experience, you write it down. When you have a dream, you write it down. When you have a vision, you write it down so that you create your own database because ultimately you're going to become the best interpreter of signs, symbols, crows, stars, flowers, phases of the moon, and what that what the crow flying south means to you will be different than to me. So you journal. The second critical thing is to practice formal, silent, sitting meditation. If you can get an instruction from a master, a student apprentice, in calm abiding meditation. Um, then that is the goal because the ability when you can train yourself not to follow your thinking when you can train yourself to let the thought fall away and come back to the moment you will be in the moment of knowing you'll be in the moment of receiving so the more often you're able if you can sit for just five minutes to start and just let your thoughts rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall. Of course, in our habit is to go, I wonder what Sally's doing. <laughs> okay, now if you just go, ding, ding, 
and, and go back to sitting still and looking at the candle or the picture of your mother or whatever your tool is, great. But we go, hey, what is she doing? She asked me $34.67 from that time I took her to lunch. And there, I'm off, we're gone. So don't do that. <laughs> Practice just being uh, very still. And let, and then in that stillness, then you'll know. You know, and we'll be able to speak to you. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, and another really good tool, just for those of you who are working on astral projection or any of those other kinds of, you know, very transcendental actions, is incense. Everybody should, every, I think everyone is well advised to have favorite incense that you burn regularly. The reason is that scent is the last of the <coughs> senses to leave us as we die. It's quite strong. And so if you get about adrift meditating, or reading, or whatever it is you're doing, to have that consistent scent that's your home scent provides you a comfort and a security, and I don't mean a Glade plug-in. <laughs> really. No, no. Petrochemical product bad. Energy sucking petrochemical product. Apologies to Glade, but stop it. You know, really. Incense is the thing to have because it's an active, it's really, it's really a very powerful tool because you've got your fire that ignites the earth aspect, which creates a flame which burns for a period, which releases the smoke, which is air energy, into the air around you. So it's really kind of a whole circular phenomenon of creating sacred space, making an energy statement, I am here, and this is my zone. It's almost a lighthouse home, too. Exactly. Well said. Well said. Mm -hmm. I've never heard that before. That's intriguing. Oh, good. I always wondered what the incense was all about. Okay. <coughs> well, that. And, and then, of course, the second purpose in uh, various other cultures is as an offering. Uh, so gesture of gratitude, respect, love, devotion. It's a gift. Of course, in our culture, we have so much money that to have incense is not unusual. But if you think uh, 300, 400, 500 years ago, the farmer and the, you know, the herder, the nomad, to get incense was quite the event. You had to grow or harvest or kill or trade something for it. You couldn't just get it. You had to go barter something for something or something and come back and make an offering. And it was quite the valuable one. Change a goat or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sir, in the back. Oh, I was just going to say some of the incense comes from exotic, faraway places. So, you know, it costs quite a bit to get. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, what are the, 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 I mean, she asked, how do you hone your skills? Mm -hmm. What are some of the triggers or the signs? I mean, I have dreams that have happened that come to reality, and I just, all coincidences, but thinking of a person and they call or whatever, a dream of somebody I haven't seen in 30 years and they call the next day, mm -hmm. things like that. How should we react to those or other than just journaling them, do we kind of try to enhance that and continue it? And I was reading um, 
we go through this mundane state of day box to box to box where we need stimulant or trigger or some kind of something to shock us into kind of this um, more of a heightened state. So you can train yourself to have a switch. Uh, yeah. It's like when you go into the reading mode, you can go into the like, focus awareness mode, like, and where the scent would be in a switch mm -hmm. in some instances. Sure. Like if you're meditating, some of the like breathing stuff could be a trigger, but certain breathing techniques could be a certain trigger to get you into well, that state. Maybe my question is to recognize these things, and it might be the more inner knowing when they occur, it's like a, that's just coincidence, or is that really something to pay attention to? Well, I think what your question is, uh, if I hear it correctly, is are you, the issue is, will I give myself permission to accept that I am clairvoyant? Yeah. And only you can do that for yourself. Okay. I have a, a comment to make on that. Something that I practice whenever that happens, that happening more and more lately. So every time you notice it, don't question it. Go, as, ooh, is that it or is it not? Is it real or is it memorized? Don't question it. Just give <coughs> a little mental thank you. Huh. Okay. Because that's your superconscious that's working for you and going, hey, hey. You know, just go, hey, thanks. You know, and that's, that's it. Thanks. And by showing gratitude, it kind of opens up that door a little bit further and says, okay, he's paying attention now here. <laughs> and, and I've found that, that, that if you keep track, um, perhaps through journaling, um, of, um, of, of, of when you, you, you know things and you're right, Make note, did you get that? Knowing through words, was it a, a voice in, in your right ear? Was it a picture that flashed by? Um, to, to try and pay attention to, to what you felt during that knowing time. And in time, it, you, it, you'll see that these things have their own pattern. And at that point, you can learn to rely that, that, that if you hear a specific voice in your right ear, that, that that is a clue that is always right. Thank you. That's very, thank you. That's very useful. So you can probably recall it, like if you remember the feeling that you had when you had the moment, later on, if you think about it, you can actually stimulate it and maybe be more open to that experience to come through again. And, and it can be a psychic feeling, it can be emotional feeling, it can be a, a, a tingle on your hand or the back of, of your neck, it can be something you smell or hear or visualize. Very good, thank you so much. Those are very good uh, comments. Um, I just had a curiosity when you were little and you saw these ghosts or whatever you saw, whatever you called them, were you afraid? Um, no. I was not afraid of them. And I think that would be a good topic, like, fear in general in the face of these kinds of 
experiences, do you think? Would you like to hear a little bit about that fear? Mm -hmm. Um, I was never afraid. The first I remember was the was the out was the body of a woman, um, very traditional Hollywood, wraith like you know, uh, uh, white gauzy, and she kept coming down the hallway. I, I was living in an old apartment building in uh, Chevy Chase, Maryland, uh, back in you know '59 or something like that, and. Uh, she kept coming down the hallway. But just before she got to my room, she would vanish. Okay? She'd come down the hallway. And vanish. And she did that about three or four times, and then she stopped. So I was not afraid of her. But I was most certainly afraid of what to do with the information about that experience. Because I you know, what to do when you're a child, you know, you sort of want to tell mommy and daddy what's happened, or you sort of want to share, you know, and be included in the world that's happening to you. And so I was afraid of what to do with what I saw. Okay. Now, in terms of being afraid in general, as a consequence of being who I am, um, I've been afraid in the woods a lot, uh, particularly battlefield woodlands, uh, uh, Tennessee, Virginia, uh, you know, not so much you know the north, you know, not so much Connecticut, Massachusetts, but battleground environments, and. Uh, and there are, I mean, there are energies uh, uh, of places. Now, different cultures will call it different ways. Uh, some will say it's the spirit of the place, the ally of the place, the deity of the place. But there are non-human energies present that are of that location. So there's always that. So that's why... Uh, in uh, some cultures, in Tibetan culture in particular, offerings will be made to the deities of a place before a particular ceremony is performed to appease them. Um, in Native American culture also make offerings to deities of places before doing particular behaviors, you know. And um, I'm not very well versed in Haitian and Vidulin culture, but I suspect offerings are made prior to. Um, but yeah, I f definitely felt very, very uh, powerful, uh, malevolent energies uh, that were not human. And I felt very powerful, malevolent energies that were human. But uh, I've never seen them. And I've had experience of being uh, touched by those energies and uh, punched on, on one occasion by those energies. I've had the experience of having a revolver put to my head and fired, although it was completely etheric. I was never actually shot, but the physical sensation, the, the awareness was as real as real could be. And so I woke up from a sound sleep wondering who had just been murdered because the, you could have, you know, I could sense really the bore of the gun and hear the shot in my 
you know, skull. But it never actually happened. So that's kind of why, uh, you know, that question about, you know, why do they come, you know, it's hard to answer that. Why is why do you why do you have these you know, experiences? And in the case of you know cleansing or, or removing harmful energies from places or trapped energies from places, then it's very likely if you're ever called to do that work, you know, be I encourage you to be extremely careful because that can be extremely dangerous work to do. I see television programs where people go around hunting for stuff. It's like you know. You might stay home. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, might be much better to not do that. It's like I believe you don't poke the tiger. Okay? If it, com if it comes looking for you, you must take action. But to just, you know, that's, and that's the thing about it, about the world, the mysterious, the beautiful, and mysterious, magical world we live in. There's countless portals, there's countless doors, there's infinite ways that we can open. And the, the challenge is to be able to close. And so there's a lot of people who, who, you know, may they know every happiness and blessing in the world, believe that, you know, that the, the universe is flat, this is the only world, or the only being is in it, you're born, you die, you go to heaven, one life, one time. You know, it's very, you know, and I'm not judging that they believe that, I'm just saying that's a worldview, and I don't agree with it. I don't find it a valid world. Nothing experientially has proven that to be true. Because I've, I've read for people who've had life after life after life, clear as day, clear as day, clear as day. I can see it, they know it, it's all true. And so how is that possible? And I'm not just bored and hallucinating or telling stories for money. I don't charge that much. So, you know, why, why put myself out to be that elaborate? Especially sometimes they're bad. You know, you know, I'm sorry you died in childbirth at the age of 14, married to a man 40 years your senior. You know, I mean, that happens to people. It's this way of the world that that, that, that happens. So fear is, um, I think, healthy and um, uh, to be honored. And that's why, uh, uh, like someone recently uh, uh, wrote me because they wanted to astral project and would I make a candle for them so that they could do that. I said, no, I know. <laughs> where are you going? Who are you? What do you mean let me help you astrally project? Are you going to get home? I couldn't do it. I mean, I don't think that's, I don't think that's a marketable item. You, you know, contact your guru, your, you know, contact your mentor, you know, I don't know you from Adam's house cat. I'm not going <laughs> to cast you out there in the aethers, you know, or something like that. So I know that's off topic, but not too far off, just a little bit off. It goes back to ethic and pot potential, potentiality. So any more questions? Yes. And um, but what, uh, what, uh, what do you do when, when, a, um, uh, when a client comes in Uh, for, uh, for their uh, uh, reading, mm -hmm. and you sense something really bad it, 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 it is about to, to, um, to uh, uh, happen, it, um, like um, a bad car accident, mm -hmm. 
or uh, or you know that uh, that they've got um, a, a massive brain tumor and, and, and they don't yet know that. Mm -hmm. Do you tell them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There are there's parameters for that. Okay. So in general people will ask a series of questions mm -hmm. and I invite them to ask questions. So the first rule is I answer the question, that's my job. However, and it's really interesting, it's, it's really, it's very interesting because it is possible through, through seeing to get accurate answers to medical situations. Mm -hmm. Now, what will happen is that if there's in fact a, a life-threatening condition that I'm energetically aware of, and the client has not asked you, then I will, it, it, well, first of all, it'll show up in general. They'll, they'll ask a question about a five-year plan. Show me, the, uh, show me the best way to succeed in my career over the next five years. And you've got two months now. <laughs> well, yeah, basically, basically I'd say, well, and it'll show up, up so that, that answer will insert itself in the, that will reveal itself uh, w within the context in general of another question. So I could say, well, under the present circumstances, apparently, it's in your best interest to seek immediate medical attention because it seems as if you've been ignoring the following symptoms. And then I'll say, I see that you've experienced this, 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 and that. And the person will go, yes, I have. I didn't think anything of it. I said, well, I invite you to consider that this will impact your ability to succeed in your chosen career if you don't have it checked out. Okay. So I would encourage you to talk to your local doctor and then, then, and then we'll go on. We'll go on from there because one of the things that does happen doesn't happen very often is that the client will come in and sit down and they'll ask a question, and that's their mind question, but their heart question is a completely different question. And so I'll say, well, sometimes we get answers to questions that aren't verbally asked. This seems to be happening for you at this time. Would you like me to tell you the answer to that I see or not? And so I get the choice. Does anybody ever say no? Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no. And you know what's interesting too about people? They love the truth. People love the truth. That's it. Just tell me the truth. You know, am I, you know, am I dying? Is my grandmother dying? And a lot of times it's so funny, people say, show me when my grandmother will die. Okay, and your immediate reaction is, you know, if you're not editing really well, or even if you are, it's like, that's an unusual question. I've had people ask because they want the money. <laughs> uh, no, really. What are you going to do? I would have never even thought of Absolutely that. want that money. Uh, but, but I've, I remember one woman, and she'd come like every, every month. When is she going to die? And I never, I, t I did the best I could, you know, I did the best I could, because death is a hard thing to get on time. But uh, finally we saw her to death. Finally, you know, I was able to say, well, apparently now she should be, she should be dead within the next three weeks. 
And the woman just broke down crying and she said, oh, thank God. She's been suffering so long. Thank God. You know, I'm so grateful to hear that. You know, bless you. You know, it's, I got nothing to do with it, but, you know, so you don't always know. I don't, I know, I, how can I know the motive of a person for when they ask, you know, that. And, it, and I, I remember also I had one client who died of cancer and um, she had that terrible breast cancer that's so invasive that you're going to die. I mean, if they did everything humanly possible to save you, you had like a 20% chance. And, you know, your life would be burned and everything would be you know, just oh, horrible. And um, she lived a really long time and, and had a very, very, very good quality of life simply because she would come for readings about what to do, what to try, who to see, where to go, was this a good healer, so on and so on. And so you were actually able to work together through the journey of her, of her transition. And you, you would have thought she was just as healthy as the next person right up until the very end. Yes? So you're like picking up on the dominant probability of something happening. Unless you make it a change, and then that probability would yes. change all. Yes. Well said. Okay. Yes. Under the present circumstances, if you continue to do this, then it's like if you if you buy a ticket to get on a train to to Tallahassee, because it don't run that way, San Antonio. You buy a ticket and you get on the train and you stay on the train, you will arrive in San Antonio. You can change that, you can disembark somewhere else. And should you disembark before you reach San Antonio? Do you ever pick up on any like peripheral probabilities that kind of hover in the side there? Yeah, well, yes. Uh, well, yes, because that's implicit in the outpicturing of the future. For example, let's say a person's been diligent about uh, uh, completing their degree in, is it to become a, a PhD, a doctor of neuropsychiatry. And here we go. So they know that they've been accepted at this particular college or university or something like that. But there's three other opportunities. One in the UK, one in Australia, and one in Berkeley. Those are there. So I have to say, I, this, I see that you've done this and well done and you've chosen this, but please allow me to share with you that if you don't choose that, that these three other options await. Or if you don't choose this partner, these three other partners are coming down the road. Because we're looking down the road as far as we can see. And so if the client opens the door wide enough, then we can see this job, this job, and that job on in addition to the one you could accept for like less money. And I also out of curiosity, um, <clears throat> if say their higher self, say that say a, a quote unquote negative event is on their horizon, but their higher self wants them to experience mm -hmm. that for learning purposes, yep. will it block that from your view? Or, or, or maybe inform you not to say anything about it? Uh, the rule is, I my rule is I have to tell the truth. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how to answer your question. If I see it, I have to tell.
tell it. Now, that's, uh, I think, the best answer is that's why I use tarot. Because tarot will empower the individual. It's your filter. It's your filter. So that way, in order for me to do no harm... So it's working through them, and then you only use what's available. What's, yes, it's the way to protect the client. The client protects themselves from what they're not able to handle. Right. Because at the co-merging of our consciousnesses, I'm shuffling. Right, you're thinking I'm shuffling, you're thinking I'm shuffling, you're thinking I'm shuffling. So we're creating a vibrational field in a vibrational field, and so it all works together. So it's, it's, so it's not the kind of thing where I go, oh, I see you got the Queen of Cups. This means no disrespect to people who read that way. This means that you're a loving, happy woman who's happy. You know, it's a landscape. The tarot gives a landscape of probability. Properly understood, it's an extremely complex metaphysical system, very ancient, very rich, takes into account so much more than I could ever begin to discuss, even in an hour. But it's a it's a great uh, a kaleidoscope of, of possibilities there. And so when the seeker chooses their deck and we begin the process of knowing and seeing and finding that way I'm sort of free because they will tell me how far I can go. Did that answer your question? Yes, it did. Which tarot deck do you prefer? Oh, thank you. Um, this, right, uh, it depends. The best tarot study deck and teaching deck is the Hermetic Tarot by Godfrey Dawson. Bar none. Say that again. It's the Hermetic, H-E-R-M-E-T-I-C, tarot. It's black and white. By who? Godfrey, G-O-D-F-R-E-Y, Dawson, D-O-W-S-O-N. It's a real old deck. It came out of the Golden Dawn. Group in the UK in the early 1900s. Um, for past life readings, the Heindel, H A I N D L tarot. Um, most people choose that one um, because visually it's just gorgeous and multicultural and very soothing to look at. Um, um, I use the Toth by Crowley, um, but right now I'm really liking the Deviant Moon Tarot. It's a very bizarre deck, and um, for people I've been reading for for 10 years or better, and for men in particular, it's a very good tool because it touches the deepest core of our archetypal nature and it, it really goes for the soul, it goes for the gut, it goes for the belly of the beast in a way that men uh, honor and respond very well to. And so uh, I don't, I haven't read for a woman with it yet, but, but for men, uh, very much so. It's visually, it's 
visually incredibly demanding, but especially for artists, painters, mystics, uh, you know. It's called the Deviant Moon. Deviant Moon Tara. And uh, I use it by phone. Oh yeah, that's the last thing I should talk about. I, most of my work is by phone. I mean, well, how is that possible? Well, because the body's irrelevant. All we need is the voice to communicate. I never read the body. The body is the vehicle. So if we are voice to voice, we're just as connected. I don't care if the voice comes through an earpiece or from your mouth to my ear. It's, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be physically present. Because if that were the case, noetics would just be horse food, you know? Well, you know, consciousnesses can meet anywhere, anytime, on any plane. And if you are fortunate to have been blessed by meeting a truly magnificently tuned mind, which has been my good fortune on several occasions, they can, you know, you can hear them hear you thinking. And they can show you the nature of your mind in an instant. Just like that. So there's levels of mastery that are breathtaking on the world. It's still in the world today. Keep your eyes open, you never know when one's running around loose. Yeah? Good? Yes, ma'am. So how do we get hold of you? Oh, how do you get hold of me? <laughs> well, um, by phone, I'm sure. Yeah, by phone. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I brought some cards, um, uh, but it's pretty easy. My name is Ann George, A-N-N-G-E-O-R-G-E dot -E com. So, andgeorge.com. And the site's uh, useful because, it, because I have taken the time to publish a lot of, uh, to publish a lot of, uh, well, I've got like three blogs. I've got a tarot blog, a clairvoyant blog, an energy healing blog. I have uh, too many blogs is what I've got. A web designer. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a web designer, yeah. But that's good. I mean, Sorry. I have a, a question. I'm going to give you a little meditation, so I'm going to deviate a little bit. No, no. Uh, <clears throat> but I just remembered uh, one of my kids, um, and he doesn't have too much experience with meditation, but about a, three weeks ago he called it and we were talking about this, and he says, I'm not doing it anymore. And I said, Why? And he goes, I don't know, it's just too weird. And he says that his head heats up and then he feels that he's floating. Mm -hmm. And since he has so little understanding of it, it just seems weird to him. And I, I have no experience at all, so I didn't, you know. Is he here? No, he's in St. Petersburg. Florida, not Russia. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> um, well, he's lucky. There's Tibetan Buddhist study groups in, um, St. Petersburg area that are honorable and um, he would probably just benefit from some instruction. 
what the great masters will tell you is pay no attention to the experiences that you're having. Just keep doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, but I was meditating the other day and after I was through, I went out on the front porch and time moved backward 20 minutes and the same bird flew by twice. Pay no attention. So basically what they say is don't worry. You're going to have all kinds of experiences. You'll heat up, cool down, fall asleep, get lazy, get crazy. Just keep going. So posture in meditation practice, posture, or he could go to a yoga, a yoga studio, because a lot of times those kinds of symptoms are a consequence of improper posture. And so he could inadvertently be holding his body in such a way that he's releasing a lot of shock or energy upward. And so that could cause flushing or disorientation or something like that. He could be not having a good breath rhythm. That could, so there's a lot of different things that are useful in meditation posture that are designed to stop the mind, tame the mind, and control those kinds of bodily, you know, wahoos. So I just suggest that he maybe get instruction why did you mention he was lucky? I don't know. Because, because he the was the Beta Eaters Bergen there speaking of lucky. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but he also might be lucky that he's transcending somewhere. Exactly. Yeah, but he's like, what? I mean, like All right, people trade drugs to get to that. Right, they sit in caves for decades. <laughs> so. He does it for free. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's the best advice. Just to not don't give up. Just get instruction. Okay. I'll pass it on. Thank mm -hmm. you. You're welcome. Well, okay. So it's been a pleasure. I'm pretty sure they're going to close the well, library. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to close. Them. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome.